If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. The moral to be drawn from this dangerous nightmare situation is a simple one. Don't let it happen. Hello, welcome world. back. Hello, world. Welcome back. We're going to talk about this episode. Should be, I lost track already. <laughs> should be number four or five? Something around there. I think but it might be six we'll, or seven. We'll, we'll talk about, um, we're going to talk about, nan- we're going to talk about anti tech terrorists. We're going to talk about surveillance states. We're going to talk about. Tech skepticism, tech cynicism. We're going to talk about technocracies. We're going to, it's an ideological spectrum, but at the same time, it's an it's a you know we are gauging the where the the states of enthusiasm for tech lie on this spectrum. So let's the most important thing is we're, again we're going to talk about the golden mean. If you don't know, if you haven't been on our Wine Jar Cynics podcast, it's sort of separate. This is a different. Um, um, segment the watchdogs yeah we're just trying to find the desirable middle between two extremes one of excess and the other of deficiency sometimes you are in an excess of cynicism even even too much doubt even too much um trust you anti it could be that that level you could be you in deficiency of cynicism you're not you you trust something so fervently even though you don't understand it so there's that. That's the thing with the this tech spectrum, this tech enthusiasm spectrum. You know. It, anyway, we talk about tech cynicism a lot in our Watchdog series. So it is a central concept of our whole series. We try to apply the teachings of Socrates and in the Kinnicks, also known as the Cynics, and apply it to tech, sort of a tech ethics or an attitude. You know, people call this bioethics. I'm con- I'm trying to find all the the best teachings of the pre-Stoics and the the pre-Stoics, the Cynics, the Soterists, all the the people in this like philosophy, and find how to apply to tech. How to find you know, people should be should be you know cynical of tech. I think that's that's why we call it this Cynics, right? Because we know about the philosophy, we know why we like it, and that some people shouldn't trust tech so, too much. But now we're gonna there's. You're gonna find the the farthest right and the farthest left on the spectrum. So that's that's the whole point of this episode. What does what does Socrates teach? You know, distrust. You know, be distrustful, suspicious of the sincerity and integrity of things. There's a cynic concept called tufos. You know, everything is hidden in the smoke. Everything is smoke and mirrors. Right? People are just trying to hide what they truly are. So that's why the golden mean is so important. You know, in the temple Apollo, it used to be bore an inscription, Meden Agan, nothing in excess. So even including cynicism itself, sometimes you might have to go away with that because it can lead to some dark stuff too. Anyway, what I'm trying to show you is that there's a whole compass, there's a whole spectrum ranging from neo-ludism and anarcho-primitivists on the far left all the way to the technocrats and transhumanists on the far right. I'd like to place us, you know, the tech cynics, or just watchdogs, even, in the middle left, in the middle right, I've just placed tech enthusiasts. So 
Let's explain all the tech attitude that the attitudes on techs on tech. Neo Luddites, neo neo Luddism or new Luddism, Luddism is a movement of people who are against modern technology. The word Luddite can be an offensive term to describe someone who was afraid of technology. The movement is named after the English Luddites, who were active between eighteen eighty eighteen eleven and eighteen sixteen. The Luddites were textile workers. They were against the new textile machinery. They believed that the machines would replace the workers over time. In response, the Luddites destroyed many of the textile machines. Neo-Luddites are concerned about the effect of technology that it has on the environment, people, and our communities. So, by the way, Dio, have you heard of Neo-Luddite ever? Just curious. Yeah, I think I've come across the term. And yeah, did you ever? What was your idea of a, a neo luddite? Like, what was, what came through your mind? Like, what was your impression of the term? Um, I mean, I guess the closest thing I could think of is like the Amish. Oh yeah, the Amish. Yeah, I would say yeah. That they're they're the soft luddites, I guess. Yeah, it's more. It's for a different reason. Yeah, they're the soft luddites. So let's talk about the hard luddites. Ted Kaczynski. If you don't know who Ted Kaczynski is, and I think he is, I think, the, not the forefather of the modern Luddite, neo-Luddites, but I think definitely some people see him as the most, he's definitely the most extreme case I can think of. But also some people actually liked him. They thought he had a, I mean, he was a genius. He did go to Harvard and he had some ideas that were correct about the effect of industrialization on people and communities. But, you know, Let's talk, I mean, who was he, right? Let's talk about who was he. He was an American domestic terrorist, anarchist, and former mathematics professor. He was a mathematics prodigy, but abandoned his academic career in 1969. To, funny enough, 1969. That's the moon landing. I wonder if he did that purposely. Because of that? As a response to that? Yeah, maybe. He's just like, because he has gone he, too far. No, really, think about it. We've that gone to catalyst. Could be his catalyst. He's like, you know what? We've gone too far. Now we're gonna fuck up everything. You know, some people think that way too about space. They're like, did he ever mention anything like no, that? No, I don't. I actually, I don't know about that. I haven't read it, so I can't comment. But I can imagine him thinking that because I, people, I because too. a lot of people think that nowadays. It's like, okay, so we're gonna go to another planet just to fuck up, fuck up that one too. You know, just to screw, screw with their resources and do the damages that we're doing now to our planet, that sentiment exists. I'm not saying I don't, I hold it, but I've heard of it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he, yeah, he left in 1969 to pursue a more primitive life. Between 1978 and 1995, he killed three people and injured 23 others in a nationwide bombing campaign against people he believed to be advancing modern technology and the destruction of the environment. He issued a social critique opposing industrialization and advocating a nature-centered form of anarchism. In 1971, Kaczynski moved to a remote cabin without electricity or running water near Lincoln, Montana, where he lived as a recluse while learning survival skills to become self-sufficient. He witnessed the destruction of wilderness surrounding his cabin and concluded that living in nature was becoming impossible resolving to fight industrialization and its destructive nature. He used terrorism to fight the industrialization, beginning his bombing campaign. Again, his bombing campaign was 1978 until 1995. That's a long time. 
and he yeah he wasn't kind between those because yeah, it's pretty crazy right he was doing it because he he was that smart that he was learning how to make bombs on his he was like as he was learning as he did them he wow. didn't he didn't read the, i don't know how he did it but very smart he oh he used crude he used crude materials on purpose so they would become untraceable that's why too that's why it was so hard he would find common hold household items that could become, I mean, why are you going to trace those? Many people buy them, so it's a lot harder to find him. He was that smart. He was that. He had that much foresight. So he's not just anybody. He, I, he definitely was psychologically damaged in Harvard, but it doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. Anyway, he sent a letter to the New York Times and promised to desist from terrorism if the Times or the Washington Post published his essay, Industrial Society and Its Future, in which he argued that his bombings were ex- were extreme but necessary to attract attention to the erosion of human freedom and dignity by modern technologies that require mass organization. So this is tough because Kaczynski is a neo-Ludite, but he's also an anarcho-primitivist too. Another issue is what is the difference between anarcho-primitivist primitivism and neo-Ludism? So, anarcho-primitivism is a political and ethical movement that combines the political framework of anarchism with the cultural critique provided by primitivism. In many ways, those outlooks share common ground. Anarchism defies hierarchical power relations, particularly in the political domain, whereas primitivism in general challenges the conditions of humanity, the modern way of life, in the civilized world, each offers critical perspectives on human human institutions and the con commit. I don't know what that word is. Concomitant institutionalization. God, of humanity and earth Earth's natural ecosystems. This is a tongue twister. Anarcho-primitivists contend that civilization, which some members of the movement call the mega machine or Leviathan acts as the prime engine of alienation from nature and others. Thus, anarcho-primitivists seek to live in communities that are in harmony with nature and liberated from the rules of civilization. You know? But I guess my only critique is, you know, if you want to do that, then go do it instead of talking. Go do it then. If you really believe this, I don't think it's a problem. It's, It's just as long as you actually do it, you know? Instead of profiting on YouTube talking about it, instead of going, you know, going on and actually doing, I don't know. This is my idea. But anyway, sorry, that was just a tangent. Um, Anarcho-primitivists favor small-scale decentralized constructs such as hand tools, minimalist housing, and, yeah, it sounds a little bit like the Amish, and wild food sources. Anarcho-primitivists are critical of any large-scale technological system requiring a vast infrastructure such as power plants, automobiles, and cities themselves that position it. That position is much about resisting centralized authority, whether in form of governmental or corporate entities, as it is about reflecting ecological concerns. But anyway, it, regardless of who who is an anarcho-primitivist or a neo-Ludite, any eco-terrorist is on the far left, for sure. I put neo-Ludite on the far left because they are anti-tech, whereas anarcho-primitivist is more general. You know, you can be an anarcho-primitivist and not a neo-Ludite. I mean, they tend to be that, but, you know, there happens to be somebody who maybe just wants to live in the community, doesn't really care about com- criticizing it. He just wants to live there like the Amish, you know. The defining characteristic of anarcho-primitivism core ideology is based 
on so agricultural substance and living in small communities, uh, other anarchist principles, minimalism, so on and so forth. So, I mean, to be a neo-Luddite, you by definition must be anti-tech. You know, it's, you know, by definition. Whereas anarcho-primitivists seem to be, you know, leaning more towards anti-tech, but, you know, they're not defined by being anti-tech only. They're defined by them wanting to be more primitive, you know, so I think it's somewhat of a less extreme yeah. than neo-Luddites. Some people just want to be left alone. In the middle, I would put tech cynicism. In the center, I am putting it in the center because of the goal. I, I'm creating it to, in the in the. We are both, I think, reasonable people, and we think that tech cynicism should not go either way that hard. And and if anyway we anyway we would go left any for anyone if they want to know and not on like politically speaking in general but i mean at least on the um on this spectrum that we are discussing yeah. right now and, and uh, yeah this spectrum's not really political yeah it's just not, a, <laughs> yeah just a spectrum just a spectrum so i want there to be a balanced viewpoint you know being cynical and skeptical accordingly but at the same time embracing tech as a tool when it proves that it does not infringe upon our civil liberties or our lives negatively. I want the biggest tenet of tech cynicism to be the watchdog's idea, you know, guarding the tenets of our philosophy, sniffing out threats like a, you know, like a sentinel, like a guard. Kind of how the cynics saw themselves as the watchdogs of humanity, also such satire, criticism, diatribes, you know, cynic wit witticisms, all that. That's the way I want it to be um, used, you know, to be reasonable, to try to find a balanced, but that's, Hopefully that if this ever launches, people will still keep that in core ideology and not go either way too hard mm -hmm. and you still abide by living in accordance with your own principles, but just not being an extremist. So tech enthusiast. Um, okay. Now we're heading farther right, I guess on the ideological compass. Um, they enjoy technology. They love having the latest toys oftentimes they may not care about privacy because of the plethora of technology they own is driven by its convenience not whether or not it's privacy orientated it's possible for them to care about privacy but i think it's hard for to be a tech enthusiast and a privacy slash constitutionalist so hard when they knowingly buy so much tech that tracks you you know yeah that's it's um there's a meme about on the internet and i how i describe them i'm gonna look up that that meme i found um, oh, I actually have it here somewhere. Where did nice. I put it? Give me a second. I thought I had it here. I think it was sent in one of our groups, wasn't it? Maybe. Oh, now I got to find it. Oh, I found it. Okay. Tech enthusiasts. Everything in my house is wired to the internet of things. I control it from all from my smartphone. My smart house is Bluetooth enabled and I can give it voice commands via Alexa. I love the future. <laughs> Programmer slash engineers. The most recent piece of technology I owned is a printer from 20, 2004 and I keep a loaded gun ready to shoot it if it ever makes an unexpected noise. <laughs> all right, security technicians. Takes a deep swig of whiskey. I wish I had been born in the Neolithic. <laughs> So I, this is literally the tech spectrum, if you think about it, the attitudes. I mean, you have people who are a little bit too enthusiastic, and it's, it's getting there with this uh, this um, attitude on the spectrum. Then you have the people who are extremists on the left of the spectrum who, I mean, they're willing to kill people. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's all bad. 
and when you have something that's so extremist. My critique of tech enthusiasts would be that they tend to be the people who say you shouldn't be conservative surveillance because if you have nothing to hide, you know, you have nothing to hide. Yeah. Why should you fear well, it? You well, know? Yeah, exactly. They're, they borderline are similar. I don't want to, you know, pigeonhole people. You know, I don't. I think that's wrong. But I just I've seen a trend where people who are tech enthusiasts are like, and I know personally some people. I know it's anecdotal, but they say stuff like this. They say, I mean. It's so convenient, though. I mean, what? What? How is it gonna hurt, right? If people know where you are and they could track you, it's like I have nothing to hide. I'm not a danger to people. Why would they care about me? Clearly, they have not listened to our privacy <laughs> no, <laughs> podcast. Not at all. They have not. Um. Um. About. Um. By the way, here's another example of tech tech um enthusiasts where I think it's going a little bit too far. And this is by the way in 2018, about 3,000 Swedish people have inserted a microchip into their bodies to make their daily lives easier. People with implants can wave their hands near a machine to unlock their office or gym rather than taking out a t- key card. So-called biohacking is on the rise as more people depend on. Or I am not surprised this is in Sweden for some reason. Swedes. As more people depend on wearable technology and interconnected devices, many chip microchip users are not concerned with hacking or surveillance at this point. This literally, by the way, that's from the article. I'm not, I'm not making fun of them. They literally would say these kind of things. Um, many microchip users are not concerned with hacking or surveillance at this point. Um, you think? <laughs> of course they're not. That's why they're putting it in their bodies. And that's where this is getting a little too much. Now, the second to last on the spectrum would be the transhumanist. I think they enjoy tech so much that the la- you know, like the last ideology, that they are okay with augmenting their and altering their biology. I mean, that's you're that's not good or bad with the tr- with all these things. The only thing I would say is that just the, the the two far ends of both are bad. I would say objectively are bad, but the stuff in the middle, they're just. I mean, there's. Sort of bad, but not as bad. I'm just giving observations into the attitudes. But anyway, like transhumanism is a social and philosophical movement devoted to promoting research and development of robust human enhancement technologies. Such technologies would augment or increase human sensory reception, emotional, emotive ability, cognitive capacity, as well as radically improving human health and extend human lifespans. Such modifications re- resulting from the addition of biological or s- physical technologies would be more or less permanently integrated into the human body. Okay. The membership n- membership of tran- transhumanist movements tend to split in an additional way. One prominent strain of transhumanism argues that social and cultural institutions, including the national and international government organizations, will be largely irrelevant to the trajectory of technological development. So there is, it does get a bit too extreme in their in their worldviews, I think. When they, if you, okay, so if you're somebody who needs a prosthetic to live mm-hmm. and function day, normally like most people would, then I'm, I totally don't think it's a problem with the transhumanists. Even certain things like, you know, trying to, you know, depends on the technology, really. So it really depends. I can't speak for all of them. If it's something small, like, I don't know, you want to you wanna use an exoskeleton to, to lift something heavy, it's not a problem. But, you know, the the fact that it's 
the physical technologies that are permanently integrated into your body and alter your or alter your biology. I think that's when I, at least personally, I would um, I would be a little bit hesitant. Yeah, when it's something you cannot take out, like something that's connected to your spinal cord, kind of thing. So, um, also the fact that 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 the the group splits on the on their idea of what the uh, the sovereignty and autonomy of a government how they undermining it and saying that you know technology will um you know it will be largely irrelevant to the trajectory of te- technological development that's something that's concerning because you know a country is only a country when they can establish their own anonymity and uh, no, autonomy and sovereignty otherwise it's not a country if any you know that's why some people are against, you know, certain, you know, social media. Social media has undermined, for example, the Australian government recently. Oh yeah. So, not if a, a private company or a technology or any person can undermine the an, the autonomy of a in sovereignty of a country, then they are just by what they are and yeah. how big they are. They exa- run their own quasi government on their app. Exactly. Laws and rules are all different. There. This is where I disagree with the transhumanists. If they be- the ones that do believe in this, I understand that all of them believe in this. So, I want to be charitable. Charitable, you know. You know, as much as I consider myself a student of science, I am unsympathetic to some of the ideas of transhumanism. I think I'm still a cynic, and I want to critique and understand things, because you know, transhumanism is somewhat teetering towards scientism. And scientism is kind of a negative term. I w- I, scientism, I don't even know if I'd put it on the spectrum, you know? But um, scientism, have you heard of scientism? I have heard the term, but I can't remember exactly what it is. So scientism is the promotion of science as the best or only objective means by which a society should determine normative, normative and epistemological values. So, okay, so I remember now. The term scientist, scientism is generally used critically, implying an unwarranted application of science in situations considerable, considered not amenable to application of the scientific method or similar scientific standards. Sometimes it's not about just raw data. Yeah. You know? It's it's funny because I've heard people, by the way, I don't want to shit on... I mean, there's so much science can't solve. So with its limited capacity, why would you try to use it to solve everything? You know, everything has their own lane. Everything. Yeah. Even good things. I think science is very important. I think it's the driving force of, of our civilization and species. But, you know, you can't apply to everything, you know. If you're talking to, I don't know, some people are emotional. You can't use scientific reasoning with them or logic. You have to use emotion with them. You have to be sympathetic, empathetic. You have to be conscious. There's nothing scientific about that. I mean, there's scientific processes of understanding it, but sort of, in a way. But, you know, it's just there's a time and place for everything. That's how I see it. Yeah. So this goes back to what um, whatever means necessary. The ends justify the means. So if we want to understand truth, we, you know, we are willing to, you know, using innocent civilians like in Unit 731, you know, human experimentation or Mengel, you know, Dr. Mengel, who did the experiments on the children in the Nazi camps. That's when you put scientist. That's the the most extreme that scientism can get, where you are putting, you know, uh, you know, you're using science as the best or only objective means by which society should determine, you know, these values. 
I mean, that's like it's the most extreme where you put science on a pedestal so much that it doesn't matter. As long as we get science, you know, we we get more scientific understanding or knowledge or data, and we you know we crack, you know, we crack a few eggs to make an omelet, like Max says. Yeah, that's where I get that's where it gets extreme, and I disagree with. Uh, you know, it's cold, callous, and cruel. You know, humans become calculations, morbid curiosity becomes more. You know, the 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 driving force of something. Um. When you get to a point where you believe science and technology, science and technology is supreme, and we are all willing to let go of our humanity and ethics, this is my problem as well. I'm not saying all transhumanists are like this. I'm saying that these are the, about the fringe extremists on the transhumanist side who are willing to, I don't know, upload the mind to a computer, uh, things of that sort. Or it's a very small group, but I don't think most people would be like this because then you can't enjoy life at this point if you are, you know, you know, making your heart. Uh, out of essentially, you know, metaphoric, metaphorically, like cybernetic, you're becoming more robot than human. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So metaphorically speaking, because you know, obviously, there's new technology that helps people live with these transplants. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about and even some of these extremes are right around the corner. Yeah, just it's it all depends on you. What is it? In our intro, it all depends on you. Yeah. Don't let it happen. I mean, Neuralink. Yeah. That would game change transhumanist technology yeah. yeah some people have the reasons but i'm just saying that we have to be, remain critical because that's what we do in a free society you can't advance advance something unless it's um, the people or not even the people but just laws just laws and constitutionality deems it rightfully able to do so under the right pretext yeah research I mean, and understanding Neuralink solves something some health issue for someone and returns it to even better than it was before. And also, by the way, um, it's Pandora's box. Remember we were talking about Pandora's yeah, box. Yeah, that's, the unintended. That's, where that's where I'm getting. So then other people see it and they want to have that same improvement for themselves. Nothing wrong with them, but they just want to be better. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's noble. And, and some people, when I think of Neuralink, some people are looking at the bigger scale. They, oh, we're doing it so, you know, the singularity doesn't make us obsolete and then we can compete with artificial intelligence and establish our dominance as a main species, all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, th- what I'm trying to say is that ha- there has to be dialogue. There has to be debates. There has to be criticism. That's what's important, in my opinion. And um, moving on to the next point, um, I think the most extreme possible... Mm, I don't know. Maybe even this is more... What we just talked about is more extreme, but I think people ideologically who you know are advocates of technocracy or surveillance states people who are on the farthest right of the spectrum you know your enthusiasm of technology is so right on this spectrum that we're talking about that you're okay with corporate overlord you know corporate messiahs ruining your uh, you know running your life you're okay with that you're okay with them having total control of your data of how it influences your all your life your mood, your behavior, your consumption, your political views, everything that encompasses who you are. Yes, I don't, I don't, there's some people who are okay with that. They understand, I'm not, it's small. I know it's a small group, but the fact that they exist and they might, you know, normalize it, that's the problem when something becomes normalized on a bigger scale. When everybody's like, well, security is more important than freedom. I have nothing to hide. I think this is better. You know, this is how we create prosperity. Look what China's doing. There's no, there's no murder. You know, 
Yeah. There's barely any murder. Things like that. Things of that sort. I think it's on the right of the spectrum. I think... Start to rationalize it. Is Yeah, it's becoming a little too enthusiastic of the technologies that enable... Usually it's technology that enables surveillance too. Not just governmental powers, but technology. For yeah, you need the technology. Yeah, you need the technology. And usually there, I mean, who... Uh, anyway, let's move on to technocracies. You know, technocrats have nothing, you know, what is a, t- a technocracy, by the way? And what is it, what is it, the relation between a technocracy and a surveillance state? I think they go hand in hand, by the way. Technically, the gov- you know, a technocracy is the government or control of society or industry by an elite of technical experts. Technical could be, you know, people who are in finance, people who are lawyers. But also, at this point, the, the technical experts that we are talking about tend to be engineers and scientists. Yes. It, it, for the most part. Yes. Yeah. So my, when people think of specialists, they're thinking, oh, yeah, people who have been in the game for a long, long time and they know how to solve these problems. But no, it's not that at this point, it's mostly people who are in tech, who are software engineers or they're AI researchers or they're, they're in the private sector. That is what it's becoming now. I mean, look at the most influential and most powerful people in the in the world. It is mostly they are engineers and scientists. We have people who are software engineers, like like um, Mark Zuckerberg, or or real engineers like um, Elon Musk, or you have Jeff Bezos, um, or Bill Gates. He's all he's another software engineer. They all run the world. Software engineers. Funny enough. It's um. So most of the time. What a technocracy is going to end up being is going to be these people in these prominent fields, because this is the field that's going to tra- you know transform the world. It's going to be it's not going to be people like economists and ec- economists and stuff like that. People who work in economics, these kind of these kind of specialists. It's that's that's why. Anyway, I just wanted to to clear that clear that up. Anyway, technocracy. Technocrats have nonetheless managed to justify themselves through myths asserting that technocrats make scientific decisions guided only by the data. These technocrats, we are told, care nothing of politics and only make sound decisions based on where the science leads. Uh, that's the scary part when people say that. You know, you know, we don't care anybody you know, about politics. You know, it's disingenuous. Everybody cares about politics. Everybody does to a certain extent. Yeah, it just... It's just in different, in different in ways, different way, in different yeah. ways, and then in levels of enthusiasm and direct involvement. Yes. But to say that you are totally apolitical, and you're not uh, the only pe- the only people who can really say that are people who are not per- contributing to the economy, people who are literally living in the woods, and yeah. are somehow living, you know, a hundred percent self sufficiently. We're talking about, you know, they have their own water. Their own infrastructure, their own electricity, maybe solar power—you know—extreme cases like that. Then, yeah, I would think so. But if you're living in the economy, you are, you are. Uh, I think you said it better. You're contributing it, contributing to it. Yeah, that's very hard. Very and hard. And I mean, even them. I don't think it's wrong to have a political like, opinion. Some people do, because yeah. we're emotional. Because politics is this is about power how the power of the government affects people's lives and laws. So, anyway, so this is a small rant. Although that, although 
That all may sound more more reasonable or logical to some, the truth is that there is nothing non-political, scientific, or even-handed about govern about government by technocrat. Technocrats, like everyone else, have their own ideologies, their own agendas, and their own interests. And, you know that's something that cynicism teaches. You know that is human nature. People are self-interested. I don't think that's a bad thing, by the way, because we are we are wired to be creatures that survive through self-preservation and through self-preservation of identity of the ego of what makes us what what we think we want to be you know things like that so i don't think that's a bad thing you know that we always teach that because people say oh that's such a cynical thing to say well, it's true i am i'm doing this for a reason i want to pay my bills i want to live comfortably i also want to you know expand you know people have their interests i think if you're more honest about it instead of lying and saying oh well, i'm above politics i'm above you know I'm completely not rational about this. And you know what I mean? Yeah. No. I think it's a lot more disingenuous. It's just deflection. Who knows it's, what it's, it is? Yeah. It seems more, yeah, it's deflection. It's to, you know, real people into a sense of comfort by lying to them and comforting them that with the reassuring lie that I am here to help and I have no interest on my own. I'm yeah. completely unself-interested. Yeah. No, everybody's self-interested to a certain extent. Even just to live, you have to be self-interested because you have to be an individual and to preserve your bi- your biological imperative to exist. Mm-hmm. That's literally what you know. <laughs> what I mean, it's it's weird when people say that. Um, oh yeah, but anyway, again, off with the tangent. Often their interests are greatly at odds with those of the general public that pay the technocrats' salaries, and is subject to the technocrats' edicts. The rise of technocracy has only meant that the means of influencing policy is now limited to a much smaller number of people, namely those who are already influential and powerful in the halls of government. Technocracy seems less political because the political wrangling is limited to what used to be called smoke-filled rooms. That is, technocracy is really a sort of oligarchy. Although not limited to financially wealthy, it's limited to people who went to the right schools or control powerful corporations such as Google or Facebook who work for the influential media organizations. It's branded as non-political. I th- when you say non-political, that is totally disingenuous. If you say bipartisan, maybe that's better. Yeah. Not yeah. Even, uh, bipartisan and how do I say it? Um, compromising. Compromising is the the most truthful way you can say something like, we're gonna have to compromise. Mm-hmm. No, not everybody's gonna be happy, but we have to try to. That's the only way to keep social cohesion through compromise. But in, for humans, you know, for AI, it's assimilation. But anyway, um, it's branded non-political because ordinary voters and taxpayers are excluded from even knowing knowing who is involved or what policies are being proposed. In other words, technocracy is government by a small exclusive club, and you ain't in it. You ain't in it. You ain't in it. None of us. Exactly. Maybe one of our listeners is just like deep in. He's like, I am. <laughs> Oligarchies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that's the, that'd be funny. Oligarchies have a tendency to become authoritarian and totalitarian, I think. And I think technocracy tends to be oligarchic in nature. It is exclusive because, you know, who went to the right schools, even if if school was completely free. Everyone went to university. Not everybody, not everybody can go to the... Even then, not everybody can go to the best schools. 
Yeah. And get connected to the best people in the best schools. Mm-hmm. It's access. To it's access too. Yeah. And um, conflicts of interest arise with yeah techno technocrats. I think they are likely to choose the interests of their occupation slash sector first, and then the general public second. That's the biggest problem. Is that their allegiance is to first and foremost their specialty. Like for example, I I gave you an example, and I think this is actually true with, with what's going on. Like for example, what the surveillance state and social media are closely linked together. Like if you want to make money, you have to infringe on people's privacy and mine they mine their data and sell it off to these thousands of companies with data brokers. You know. So, do you think you're really gonna have legislation that you know, you know, ha- stops this from the only way that you make money, which is the people are the product? I don't think so. Yeah. If you're in, if you're in government, your allegiance is to your sector, to preserving it, and to preserve it is usually profit. You cannot profit by not selling people's data. I mean, I don't know why this is so hard for people to understand because there's some people who are still, t- you know. Strong technocrats in on Reddit. I've seen it. Maybe we have to have a discussion with them. But Yeah, I'd, have to, I'd be interested to read in the groups. Maybe they have a reason because, you know, the biggest techno, you know, technocratic country, you know what it is. It's it's China. Yeah. And that, I think that's the only one, from what I understand, where they all are handpicked to be experts in that field, not based on anything else. Also in the allegiance to, to the CCP, to the Communist Party of China. Um, and let's talk about that. Um, yeah, they're the best example of an oligarchic, totalitarian, technocratic surveillance state. China. You like how I mix all those? Yeah, that, that's a lot. But yeah, they have they have bits of all that. They are all of it, all in one nice Frank, little pack. Frankenstein. They're the worst possible amalgamation of the worst governmental authoritarian powers merged into one ugly little ball. And like I said, it's going to be exported. That's the scary part. Anyway, um, in the early stages of reform, Chinese technocrats with engineering backgrounds like Li Ping, Hu Qili, and Jiang Zemin were promoted to top positions in the Communist Party's poli- political bureau standing committee. During Jiang's and Hu's tenure, more, ten- more technocrats were promoted, and an increasing proportion had ed- educational background in the social sciences rather than in engineering and the natural sciences. Still, they're specialists, right? Mm-hmm. After Xi Jinping came into power in 2012, a large number of the technocrats with, with working experiences in the military and aerospace industries or training in the social sciences, especially economics, were promoted to key positions. The growing number of technocrats in the party state also reflects China's transition from Mao society ruled by warriors to the industrial society ruled by engineers, planners, and producers in the reform era and the transition from industrial mass production to post-industrial service-oriented society, China's technocracy is shifting in its centrality towards new science-based industries like artificial intelligence, aerospace technology, and telecommunications. Still technocrats. Technocracy slash surveillance states. As I said, although technocracy and surveillance states differ slightly, they contemplate each other very well. Corporate oligopolies like Facebook, Google, and Amazon do very well under technocratic governments, and that's the only way for them to do well. And and actually, even even 
it, it makes it even worse. But actually, like I said, even that, even now with the U.S., we're not a technocrat, tech, technocratic government. Government. We, I mean, some people would argue we kind of are, but we're not fully there yet. Like China, even then, they still have a lot of power. So imagine if they both merged, like a hundred percent. Like we're talking about, like China. Then you would then it it tends that's the only way it can go really because the interests of the people don't matter. It's the interest to the public sector or the private sector or their companies. You know, are to preserve whatever system they profited off to to begin with, mm-hmm. right? I don't again. So it's the easiest way to create a surveillance state. Other than an autocratic dictatorship, you could have an autocratic dictatorship like back in the past, like all these ones in South America where they would use, you know, or the or Russia where you have, you know, the state police. You have a secret police force to find dissidents. That was back in the day, but you don't need that anymore. And you can still be tyrannical. You can use just your, your a government agency like the NSA to spy on your citizens and mine their data and to predict and manipulate their behavior. So, uh, you don't really need that anymore. That's the scary part. You don't need an, a dictatorship. Actually, you can just you do nope. pretty well with just just companies working, selling you the shadow government. You, you can have companies just selling your data to the government or to law enforcement agencies. As I've said in the pandemic surveillance uh, surveillance pandemic, you can just do that. Yeah, you don't need yeah you don't need that anymore. Just and that's how they do it. Profit off. Whatever data you've mined, that's that you think that might interest these government agencies. It's always it's the, a way to get it. It's the emergency. It's the it's the marriage between big tech, big government, and that's scary. And yeah, against like I said, um, why is it so easy though? Because technocratic leadership often is invested firstly in their sector slash interests rather than the interests of the people, and if they pretend they have the people's interest in mind, it will come second. You know. The all-seeing tyrannical tech titans have the incentive to infringe upon our civil liberties because it's profitable. Remember that. I'm going to keep emphasizing that. Last episode, again, again, we talked about surveillance capitalisms. Humans are self-interested. You know, the farthest right on this spectrum is people who are willing to give up their freedom for the illusion of security. People who are okay with freedom of speech, privacy, and other democratic values dying in darkness. You know, that's the problem. You know, remember, people who crave power and control will not let a good crisis go to waste. Go, go to waste. Remember that. Let's talk about some crises. You know, 9/11, Patriot Act, Boston bombing, keyboard warrants, the Capitol riot recently. Any way to expand governmental power? You know, top executives at Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft have written more than 1,000 checks to political groups, totaling more than 16 million this election cycle, with all almost all of that money going to the Democrats. Did you know that? Maybe yeah. it's probably because optics, you know, the biggest issue issue with corporate oligopolies is that they don't even need to be in power. Like I said, they have a stranglehold on the population. They are a de facto quasi shadow force government, hidden hands that are extremely powerful. So that is the whole technology enthusiasm spectrum. The far left neo-ludites, eco-terrorists, the middle you know, tech cynics, I think us, yeah. the watchdogs. Then, you know, the enthusiasts to a certain point, to more far to the right. Then you have the transhumanists, you have the technocrat, techn- people who like technocratic governments, people who want to promote a surveillance state for security. That is the far right, the far left, the middle. You know, 
I think you should try to be in the middle. I think you should be reasonable. <laughs> I think you should be reasonable. I think you should try to understand these things. Yes. I think you should understand the prin- principles of humanity and ethics. You know, Socrates was, he was influential because he was the gadfly. He was reasonable. He was a little extreme, but he was trying to talk about the hypocrisy of the Athenian government, you know, at that time. Unspeakable to even question democracy. He was questioning it because he was trying to understand, he was trying to promote, you know, Plato was trying to promote the Republic, something that is controlled by a constitution, by principles, by legality, rather than a mob that bows down to the demagogues. You know, there is, what I'm trying to say is that there has to be the gadfly. There has to be another Socrates to come come by and, you know, call people out on this, man. Call people out on all these fronts. I don't think, I know it sounds like an enlightened, we're trying to sound like enlightened centrists, but I think sometimes you have to, you know, be reasonable, compromise, understand everything. Understand the smoke screen, you know, Tufos. That's the cynic concept of, you know, the smoke. You know, why? It's all smoke, smokes and mirrors, vanity. It's tough to wake people up. Yeah, and I think even talking about it, it's not enough, but I think it's somewhere to start. I don't have, that's all, I, that's my idea. That would be the way yeah, I would. talking about it is always good. I mean, eventually, as with everything, you get to the solutions. Because the solutions can and will be used by anybody. Uh, and eventually, you're going to need it. I think well, the biggest problem, it's a philosophical issue. I don't think it's, it's a problem of knowledge. It's not of knowledge. It's of, um, think of deeply thinking about how it relates to your life and the existentialism of it. Like how it relates to society and family and community and all that. It's hard to get everyone to think like that. It is hard. But, you know, back then, I think these concepts used to be a lot more cohesive back in the day. There used to be yeah. more of an American creed. You know, these, this, all of these things, you know, the solution was these ideas. That's why people came to this. People immigrated from England to come here because they were Protestants. People want, or, they, or not even just Protestants, just every other religion that did not want to be binded by the authoritarian nature of the church at that time. People wanted to be to in a new country, in a new land, free from all this. That's why they came here. Mm-hmm. Why they established a government, hopefully, where people can um, abide by the constitutional principles that I think are rooted in universal values for the most part. You know, free. Most people want to be free. They want to pursue their own interests and happiness without infringing other on other people's freedoms. That's just the way I think, and I think. I don't know. It's fragile, but I think it's possible if people. So, I think it's just it's about philosophy, about these philosophical tenets, about humanism. You know, things that were studied by the Romans and the Greeks a long time ago and preserved through the Renaissance. These ideas, you know, and they're at odds with you know what's going on right now with people. Pro, you know, people on that right end of the spectrum, mostly actually. I think the anarcho-primitivists, they can be extreme, like Ted Kaczynski. But, I don't know, I think it's a lot, it would be a lot worse to be on the right, on the very right of this and the left. Yeah, because you can't, escaping the very far right is... Because you can't escape for the far right. That's the thing, it's about, at least on the far left, you have a, someone, they have a choice. You yeah, can, you can you can just go back. Just go back or leave. Yeah. You know, leave, go get a, a cabin in Montana, right? Or something, or even farther in Alaska, right? 
and you have the, the right that's the, the the problem with it is that like we talked about in privacy in the privacy episode it's about control they're the only way they can establish this is with total control because they know people you know by nature humans want to be free this is objective mm-hmm. most people want to be free to a certain extent i know that people want security and commodities and th- things like that but you know i don't think people want to go they don't want their items to own them when they realize it soon soon enough yeah I agree. things like that but anyway parabellum parabellum 